You're listening to The Private Citizen, a civil liberties podcast. This is episode 163 for Wednesday, the 8th of November, 2023. Back to the Twitter files. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Fab coming to you from Düsseldorf in Germany. No, I'm not recording this live. I'm still in the process of um, getting everything back together, getting on a schedule, um, trying to get shows out to you whenever I can. So here we are. This is uh, 163. This is going to be somewhat of a planning episode. Um, I am planning to revisit the Twitter files in the future. And uh, on this episode, I'm going to explain where we are, what we got to do, and... Um, I'm going to address some feedback I've gotten from the previous episode. And uh, then I'm going to also address some uh, pretty interesting Twitter files uh, news at the end. Um, yeah, so uh, that's what we're doing today. So the um, the today is going to be kind of like a, a little bit of recap, some planning, um, looking into the future. And then I'm going to do probably a few episodes on the Twitter files, uh, unless something very pressing happens, um, I'm just I just dropped so many episodes this year that I've got um, a lot on my like to do list on my backlog, and uh, the Twitter files obviously are at the top of the list. Um, so I want to get that done first. Um, but before we get into that, let's address a little bit of feedback um, I've gotten on the. Uh, on the previous episode, 162. So as usually, you can follow along. If you go to privatecitizen.press, you will find the show notes uh, for the show. And, uh, you know, I've very early on in my podcasting career, uh, which, oh my God, it's like 15 years ago or something. Um, I started, you know, I, I always thought show notes are very important. Most podcasts neglect, neglect their show notes and uh, I'm trying to uh, set an opposite example. So please go there. Um, if you listen to other podcasts, um, my show notes are probably more um, longer and got more information in it. So if if you're not used to uh, visiting podcast show notes, maybe maybe you want to start with this show, Private Citizen Press. Um, anyway, uh, on the previous episode, 162, I talked about mainly, <laughs> um, I talked about the Westminster Declaration, but before that, I addressed the uh, Israel-Gaza situation and that turned into kind of a rabbit hole. I think it took like it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just banging my wine glass against a. Um, um, I don't know. I used this like stone thing to put my glasses on. I don't know what do you call it? What's that? What's the? I don't know what the word for. See, this is already another rabbit hole. What's what's Untersetzer in English? I never. I don't think. In my decades of speaking English. I've never looked this up. A trivet. Coaster. Oh yeah, it's obviously it's a coaster. What the hell is a trivet? <laughs> a trivet? 
<laughs> I've got no idea. A coaster. Yes, I obviously know what a coaster is. I'm sorry, my brain just didn't work. Anyway, I banged my glass against my coaster and banged that against the mic boom. So I'm sorry. Um, well, that got me sidetracked. <laughs> um, yeah, so I addressed the uh, the Israel Gaza situation, which turned out in this long thing and turned out into kind of a rant against religion, because as you might have figured out i'm not not a big fan of religion never have been probably has something to do with the fact that i'm actually heathen <laughs> and i don't adhere to any religion i never have um and uh, the more i learn uh, learn about religion in my life the more like kind of this um uh, yeah um conviction to you know never do uh, kind of grew um but i had some comments obviously from um from listeners to the show and they always say I do very much appreciate this so um, you know if you go to private citizen or press you will find information on how to contact me and you should do that we had um, a bit of a thread on the forum and Fadi uh, Mansour and Yevgeny Kuznetsov who are kind of the most senior the serial commenters on things uh, the the, uh, the the most active producers when it comes to uh you know, um, setting the topics for the show and, and discussing what I actually say. I've had a bit of a discussion. That thread is kind of interesting anyway um, because uh, Fadi said he'd never watched Babylon 5 and I said, you know, you can watch it on Freevee and of course where he is, which is in the Czech Republic, uh, Babylon 5 is not on Freeview. I kind of guessed that because I said, you know, if it is available where you are, which it never is, there's always some fuckery going on um so i recommend it and i recommend anybody who hasn't seen babylon 5 um and he wants to if you have a blu-ray player um at the beginning of december at least that's the schedule um a, a blu-ray version is, is is about to come out um which is like a it's kind of not a new remaster it was like it's like the version of the latest remaster which was I think, uh, if I remember correctly, a remastered for HBO to so to show the show on HBO, but it's on Blu-ray, so it's kind of like a bit of better bandwidth. And I'm going to pick that up at some point, even though I've just seen the show. But it's one of my, oh, I'm I'm almost I'm in the last season now. Um, it's one of my favorite shows ever. I mean, the CGI is horrible. Um, that we just know addressing that it's it's aged horribly. But if you're in interested in computers, kind of interesting because Babylon Five was the first show um, that made you know, that had outside CGI, like anything that isn't practical effects in the scene um, is complete, completely computer generated. And they used a video toaster back then, which was an Atari, basically Atari-based rendering thing. And it's kind of, um, yeah, I think Babylon 5 and Sequest uh, were the first two shows to do this. Although I think Sequest also used some models. Um, and Sequest kind of got away with it a little bit better because they put like this underwater filter over it so it, it it aged a lot better actually um you know but Babylon 5, it is what it is but you can you kind of um if you have an eye for technical things you can kind of watch it with a interest in that anyway watch Babylon 5 um now back to now 
to this feedback actually um fadi actually is, uh, wrote a longer thing but here's something i picked out um he said i think the issue uh, is that we use one word religion to refer to two distinct things and from my point of view making this distinction makes it easier to take a position on one side you have organized religions where you have a creed that is being propagated and dictated by a central authority on the other hand you have the personal belief which stems from one's recognition of our own limitations And I actually um, replied and um, also want to say this here is I've said this before, like this second part, like your personal beliefs, I, I have nothing against that, you know, and anybody um, should be free to believe whatever they want. It's always that second part or that first part that Fadi mentioned, you know, the organized religion part and kind of. Uh, to me, organized religion is a misnomer because in the history of mankind, every religion got organized <laughs> pretty much. And there's really no unorganized religions. And um, I don't think you can separate these two things really because for some reason, you know, going back probably like 6,000 years ago, um, people are pretty quickly to figure out if there's a religion, there's power in it, right? There's always power in it. And that's why, why they will always get organized. You know, and that's why some people actually come up with a religion. You know, that's why so Scientology got founded because the guy who did it, um, you know, figured out that there's power in it. It's kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of the same situation as like a cult, like, you know, the Manson cult or whatever. That to me is kind of the same thing. It's just on a smaller scale. But it's basically also a religion. Um, but um, obviously uh, you don't have to agree with me. And, and Evgeny also doesn't, I guess. Fadi is not with with me on this which is okay and uh yevgeny um also said um i identify myself as discordian in discordianism it is explicitly understood that every human has a way of directly communicating with the god or with god and nobody's communication is clearer or more true um than anyone else's uh, this seems to guard uh discordianism or any religion with similar clauses from becoming an organized religion even if it gains a lot of followers by definition no one can tell tell you what god wants you to do because they can't know it better than you yourself can so uh so no not every religion necessitates organization i actually strongly disagree with that i think the only reason why it's not organized is because it's very niche um i think if it really takes off and has a lot of followers and we're talking maybe millions or whatever it will become organized. Believe me, it doesn't matter what your religion says. Um, you know, as soon as there's enough power in it, somebody will, somebody will find a way to organize it. <laughs> If you look at history of, you know, there were of, 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 of mankind, there were many religions. Um, I mean, Christianity kind of started kind of like this as a, like a personal thing. And, um, and very early on, they rejected, um, that, you know, somebody should, um, that there should be like a central authority to kind of interpret uh, the teachings of the prophets or the Bible or whatever for you. And kind of, I think, I think very early Islam was the same way. I think all religions kind of start out this way, but you know, any religion gets used. Um, like even, even Buddhism, like even then Buddhism is tied up in politics, right. And gets used for political matters, just like anything where a lot of people get together, it gets political. And then I think I, I do agree. I disagree with Evgeny on this, but you know, that is okay. Um, you know, that's, that's, 
I still value uh, all your your all your input. Uh, input. I also had an email from Yanis, which is a lot longer, but I've put this. I, I want to read this out completely. And I also I disagree on uh, I agree, agree on some points, and I disagree on some others. And I'm gonna just go through this and um, you know read out his po viewpoints, and then also talk about mine. Um, so Yannis says, I found myself agreeing with, so he uh, had an intro there about, you know, last episode, religion, whatever. And, um, and then he c comes in with this. I found myself agreeing with the perspective of the historian Tom Holland. This is, I've never heard of this, um, this theory, by the way. Um, this is a macro view, so it will take some time to explain. He was discussing the Iliad and historical Troy. As we know, Troy almost certainly existed. I mean, we know, right? We found the that like a German archaeologist found the, went to ruins, uh, we realized that ancient, the ancient Greeks probably knew Troy existed too. However, it was as distant to them as the Middle Ages is for us, so they had a pop culture-driven idea of it. This is not the main point, but an important part to remember. Um, he then moved into discussing the film Troy and how that takes out almost all the supernatural elements. He contrasts that with the film 300 about a historical event. I think 300 is a terrible film, but it's truer to the ancient Greco-Roman mindset that the weak are contentable and strength is honorable in itself. Actually, I think 300 is not a bad movie. Um, I pr much prefer to Troy, to be honest. Uh, Troy is way too literal for me. Um, you know, I, 300 is kind of an art kind of movie. Um, I mean, I... I, I I've only watched it like two or three times. Like, just I don't think you can watch it a, a many. You know, I it gets the visuals are just very um, stylized and overwhelming. But I think I kind of I don't, I don't know. I, I think I would agree with uh, what I guess uh, this historian Tom Holland also said that it it is um, it is in the spirit of the um, how the ancient Greeks saw this kind of thing. I think. Um, I mean, so certainly you shouldn't take it like, you know, it's not. I think some people watch it and they think like, oh yeah, Spartans are amazing the way they like kind of treat their children, whatever, and uh, and and are like this warrior culture. And I don't think it's meant that way. I don't think you're supposed to do that. But uh, um, yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, let's let's go on with this email. Um, Christianity introduced the idea of suffering. Uh, being righteous and having a redeeming quality. This is actually a good thought. Um, it lacks strength, but it lacks suffering even more. It is almost impossible to escape this trope in secular pop media today. Uh, to Holland's understanding of European history, okay, so this is, yeah, this is explains a lot about modern culture, I think. Um, this kind of suffering thing being, being actually a good thing. Um, to Holland's understanding of European history, there was almost no change in this popular idea until the Nazis. Not even communism changed this fundamental idea. But Nazism was an upending of the existing order because it was so callous about its life worth. Racial supremacy and, quote, might makes right. Darwinist attitude, might makes right Darwinist attitude where it was never meant to be applied. At least crusaders were condemned for targeting Christians in their own time. Uh, see, for example, the Fourth Crusade though many medieval Christians saw heathens as fair game. On that basis, it's hard to say that the na Nazi appetite for killing was an evolution of existing mores. It was a genuine revolution in thinking, a very bad one. This cannot be said for communism, which is why they had to be so ideological every time um, they excluded someone. In this, communists were just like Christians who went to war over tiny differences like the nature of Jesus, my fight, my facades, 
Aryans, etc. Um, actually, um, I have to disagree with this strongly because, the, I mean, I, I guess where you you're coming from here, but the Nazis didn't invent this idea. Um, the Nazis got this idea from Nietzsche. Um, this is, um, you know, very, um, this like kind of Nietzschean, I mean, the Nazis kind of even took the uh, the term uh, Übermensch, right? Um, from this. And the Nazis really didn't come up with anything themselves, pretty much, I, I think. Um, they, they, I think they're very over... Um, especially Goebbels, who, who was kind of like their their thinker, um, is is kind of oversold these days just because of like their impact on world history. But like if you look if you look at their like their ideas of race, um, they in air quotes stole that. You know the whole folkish idea was you know the, that the the folk uh, the the community like the, the the genetic community of the German people, for example, um, was like above everything that that is the stuff that it's all ideas that were around before but this specific um i think that's a modern idea it's a very modernist idea that um you know nietzsche because you know god being then being no god god is dead and humans are uh, in a world of science and of reason are responsible for themselves and that's why um you know, Nietzsche took that idea, which was like a, you know, also not really that revolutionary. That very idea is out of comes out of the Enlightenment movement, right? When if you if you stop um, drawing um, morality and 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 ethics from God, and you start applying like logic to it, and you know, um, you know, the the state contract and and Hobbes and Locke and all of that. Um, then, then this is like just the normal thinking. Like this, this is a, if you take this. This is what I always often talk about when I talk about like Vulcans and Star Trek and that being like really horrible. If you go too far down the utilitarianism path, because this can get very bleak. Like if you if you don't have anything, um, like if you don't have morality that you've given in a book from God, and everybody's responsible for their own morality this can also get very horrible. You can justify very bad things, which is what the Nazis did, right? But they did not come up with this. Um, I also would disagree that this can't, cannot be said for communism. Um, I think communism really doesn't exist in this context. Um, if you're comparing it with, with the Nazis, with Nazism, the regime, then you would have to say Bolshevism. And Bolshevism specifically was like this. Um, in the Civil War, in the Russian Civil War, um, in the Revolution, the Bolsheviks even killed other communists because they weren't Bolsheviks. Under under Stalin, um, you know, they went so far as killing Bolsheviks because their party card wasn't issued early enough. If anything, they took this, at least the Stalin regime, um, you know, after Stalin, this this all of this changed, of course, um, some to some extent, but like in the worst excesses under Stalin, um, even during World War II and after, um, I would say the the communists, so to speak, I would you know the Bolsheviks, the the, the Stalinism, the, the the Stalinist regime took this um, even further, and they applied quite of you know when Stalin basically starved and killed millions of Ukrainians, he pretty much. Um, 
his reasoning for that was right out of the Nazi playbook. Like it was, it is amazing how 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 close. Like you know, if you read if you read a few uh, Hitler biographies and read a few Stalin biographies, it's amazing how how close together in thinking these two people are, even though they 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 pretend to be on opposite side of the spectrum. Um, and they kind of are, but you know that, that's the theory that if you go too far to the left or go too far to the right, you end up at the same point, which is just you know, I don't know. Also, authoritarianism, I guess. But um, yeah, so I I I, I don't uh, I don't actually agree with that. Um, but to uh, to go on here, um, I do wonder if we finally shed this idea with the decline of religion in the Western and world and east asia i think it's it isn't long until the rest of the world follows however we should be wary for whatever replaces it as at least speaking as an atheist the christian version is more compassionate than what came before and after uh, again <laughs> you know kind of it's just my my point of view again i have to agree uh, disagree actually um i think this is my personal opinion i think i know what comes next for us um it's science but not as in the scientific method. I think you can see that today. The modern religion in countries like Germany, um, that is even kind of the state religion, is kind of a science, but it's not actual science. It's not um, questioning everything and you know doing your own research and, and, and being skeptical of everything and making everything into a null hypothesis and check, or checking everything with a null hypothesis. It's, it's actually this kind of religionized version of science where like, you know, Anthony Fauci is is the prophet and the science is right and the science says, you know, man-made global warming exists and the science this and the science that. I think this is actually, and I'm, this is not hyperbole on my part, I think this is what is replacing kind of science because we've kind of turned, uh, uh, religion, we've turned our back on from religion, but I think people generally are not ready for this. Um, they're not ready to, you know, to to live in this Nietzschean world where they are responsible for everything, you know, because that is the problem when you're really, I think, you know, I'm an somewhat of, I don't know if I'm an atheist or um, a, um, oh God, what's that other term? It's not nihilist. It's like when you don't, there, there's all these different terms. I always mix them up. Where you're like, you, you don't, I basically don't care if God exists. I'm like, I would say I'm a scientist, right? As so, as long as there's no overwhelming, like, uh, you know, as long as the hypothesis that God exists doesn't, you know, reveal itself to me for some, like, they, you know, as long as there's like, no hand in the sky or whatever, you know, where I would go like, okay, now we will have to think about if does God really exist. Um, to me, it, it, you know, I wouldn't say, I would also say God doesn't exist because you you don't know. Like in science, it's really hard to prove, an, or it's po impossible to prove a negative if you're really using the scientific method, right? So you never do that. Um, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, well, maybe, you know, maybe God does exist. Um, what What is God even? Like that would be a thing. Like is it a old beardy man in the sky or is it maybe, is there a force at work in the universe that we haven't discovered yet? You know, that, that, somebody 2000 years years ago would have called god or you know i don't know just to have a weird hypothesis i mean i don't believe if we ever meet alien life we're even going to recognize it but let's say there is alien life like you know ancient aliens aliens and you know like in babylon 5 the centauri or whatever and they've, they've been to to our planet before 
right? Uh, you know, maybe that's what Jesus saw. <laughs> you know, um, Arthur C. Clarke, like, would it be distinguishable from God? Like, it's not like um, sufficiently uh, advanced technology is indistinguish indistinguishable from magic. Wouldn't a su su sufficiently advanced intergalactic being, wouldn't that be indistinguishable from God, right? So what even is God? So I don't, I don't know. Um, but anyway, and I also disagree with this idea that the Christian Christianism is more compassionate than just cold science. I think yes, if you pitch it against the Nazis, yeah, but that isn't fair because the Nazis actually didn't embrace Nietzscheanism and this, like they were very modern, but they also arranged themselves with the church. Um, most of all, the Nazis were Christians. Um, and a huge drive in the Third Reich to alienate Jews, which is the, you know, at at that point was, even though it was a very big minority, but in Europe it was the only religion that was uh, competing with Christianity because, you know, it was before this whole, like, Muslim um, wave kind of, you know, Muslim influence on Europe. So, you know, there, there was a vested interest and there are very good books written about this, how like the Catholic Church and even the Protestant Church had a vested interest in helping the Nazis and did. You know, the the, the church had a lot of power in Germany. Um, I, I had a, I couldn't remember. I, I don't think I get the theory together um, completely, but I remember uh, having a discussion with uh, or listening to a, a professor when I was studying history uh, and we were studying the Reich and one of his theories was that you know the the church in Germany enabled both churches um, you know Protestant and and Roman Catholic Church um, basically enabled the Nazis because the his, his theory was that the the uh, the church at that time had so much power that had they actually stood against the Nazis um, there could have actually there could have been a chance to um, overthrow um, or, or prevent them from claiming power, uh, but but the church didn't do that. Um, so I don't think um, so. The Nazis really they were Christians, right? And so there is not like like any religion and any creed you can just conform it to what you want to do, and you can be very uncompassionate as a Christian. Um, I mean, look at all the scandals in the Roman Catholic Church. Look at the Crusades. Look at all the things Christians have done through history, and 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 Muslims have done, and, and atheists. Like any human is, I fairly, I I strongly believe. I I don't believe this argument that if you're not religious and you're less believing in cold hard facts and you're becoming like you're moving in this Nietzschean direction, then you become worse. Um, because I think if you look back at history. Um, Humans, humans have always done horrible things, and it doesn't matter what religion they belong to. They find a way of justifying what they, their, their horrible, what the horrible things to themselves, to, <laughs> to their spouses, and within their religion, within the political framework. Um, I mean, just look at uh, you know things I've been talking about, like uh, the party, like the Green Party in Germany, which twenty years ago was staunchly pacifist and is now financing a major war and, and was like from the very first day f for sending weapons to another country. Like that turnaround, like, you know, that political, you can, you can justify almost anything. Um, so I think it's actually not going to change much. Um, I, I actually, 
if I think about this, I think my um, my idea of like you know I've I've voiced this opinion on this on the show as well and in my life that I think if we would just get rid of religion, the world would be a better place. Now, if I keep thinking about this, I don't think it would be. Uh, because I think humans in themselves, I mean, this is probably a very nihilistic view, um, but it's probably it's it's down the line what Nietzsche and I guess Kafka and <laughs> people like Hobbes uh, would have would have thought that you know I don't think it's going to change because human nature doesn't change. Anyway, um, to, to go on with this email, um, this email from uh, from Yannis. Um, <clears throat> As for this current conflict, so the conflict with Israel and Gaza um, and the Palestinians, as for this current conflict, I think it is a new phase in it. It has now definitely moved into a holy war from a nationalist war. Palestinian nationalism has been fully subsumed by jihadism. I actually, I would agree on that. I, I, yeah, I feel like that as well. The Israeli government too has been taken over by people who put their faith to earth. I would agree with that as well. It is worth remembering that the first prime minister of the country was an atheist and and as were many of its founders. So I doubt this. I know I don't know enough about the founding of Israel. Um, but I mean, Israel is, by definition, was founded as a state for Jews, and and you know, Judaism is a religion. Um, I think you're falling into the trap here, to think that Jews are a people, which I I, I think this is. I mean, it is an ethnic group, right? But Judaism is a religion. I think people are to this very day, and Americans, almost all Americans do this, they actually fall in the trap of, of, of I think I've talked about this before as well, um, of accepting Nazi um, ideology, which is that Jews are race. There is no such thing as race. Humans do not have races. They have phenotypes, but uh, there's no biological definition of something called race, right? Even like even in dogs, dog races are less, just a very gray kind of like biologically there are only species. There's a very clear delineation, you know, if two species um, are two different species, if they're for example, if they can mate, but their offspring isn't is infertile, right? So if a if a if a donkey and a horse were two different species, they can mate, and um, the offspring will be a mule, but mules are infertile. Um, so so that's what the species is, and that's the only definition in in biology. Everything else is just like a weird collection of phenotypes that you can slap a label on, right? That's like saying is somebody African American. Or are they, you know, because their skin is black? Like, is that really, like, that's not a scientific statement, right? It, it's, at what point is somebody Asian or Caucasian? It's all a mix. Humans are just a mix, right? Everything is, a, some, somebody, you know, has more Viking genes and somebody else has more, I don't know, Persian Persian genes. It's like, it doesn't, it's, it's all like just mixed. So there is no such thing as a Jew, as in, you know, I mean, you could, I guess, um, Judaism is a special case because the followers of this religion have been persecuted for so many centuries that it's become such a part of their life, um, which religion always does. But like Germans, 
um, yes, Germans are Christians and, and a big part of, of German culture is, is, is Christianity, but it's not that um, like, or even, you know, Russian culture. There are many Russian Jews, right? So there's not, um, there's like a, a, a distinct subculture that is like Russian Jews, but there's also Russian Orthodox Christians. But you wouldn't say that a Russian is immediately an Orthodox Christian. Um, whereas, you know, it's it's much clearer cut if you live in Israel. Um, and I don't think that the, the, the prime minister that, you know, of a country that was founded to give shelter to to followers of a certain religion can really be an atheist. Um, I guess it's technically possible. Um, I think his name was Ben Gurion, right? I, I don't I don't know enough about the first prime minister of Israel, but I I don't know. I kind of ha have my doubts. Um, it's Israel is a, is a is a very very special case. I mean, it's not like you can't you can live in Israel if you're not a Jew. Of course you can, but like you know, um, it's it's not like the same as like. So if you if you look at Germany, I mean, this is different now. But let let's say like 50 years ago, if you looked at Germany and um, you know you had a German, uh, you just you just, just pick random citizen of Germany, of course. Um, the the um pos like the the um uh why can't I remember the word what word I'm trying to remember um the chance of them being a Christian was probably as high as picking an inha inhabitant of Israel and them being a Jew I'm I'm guessing yeah probably a bit higher in Israel but like it was close but Christianity is not such an inherent part of German culture or not in the same way um, because you know the country has been around a lot longer actually the nation state hasn't but like the you know, the Holy Roman Empire or you know the the, the um, yeah, it's been a very long time since like the German states were uh, pagans right um, and and it's it's of course seeped into every bit of the culture, but it's not so much um, part of modern everyday life as as Judaism is in Israel. So it's it's a very special case. But like on the on the other hand, you know, in countries like let's say Saudi Arabia, you know, it's 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 much more on, at the same line. Like they're they're also not secular countries, right? They're um, a country like Saudi Arabia is, is very, very specifically an Islamic country, um, and even to some extent, even you know, stricter. Right? They have certain laws that Israel doesn't. I'm not hundred percent sure, but doesn't really have. Um, they have to do with you know having to adhere to certain religious tenets and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. Um, Anyway, I, I was, I was, if you if you have if you know if you want to write in again and 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 tell me more about that, I I, I admit that I don't know enough about about this topic. Um, anyway, to finish this email, um, I get that you don't understand 
But it's worth remembering, remembering that you're also very cosmopolitan in background and mindset, having freely moved and traveled to other countries. It's just a different mindset in the Middle East where family and affiliation is extremely important. In the West, it's been held up as a great thing to be different and break away from your parents, starting with the baby boomer generation. I'm honestly not sure if this is a healthy attitude for society, but at least there has been almost no conflict between uh, these states since uh, this individualist mindset got embedded. Uh, I thought this perspective would be interesting. Would be curious to uh, curious in your thoughts and response. Yeah, which I'm giving. Actually, you know, yeah, I am very cosmopolitan, I guess. But actually, I'm I'm very very like I'm not somebody who rebelled um, against my parents. Um, I, you know, I have a very good relationship to my, with my parents. Much better. I mean, I'm an only child. That is a factor, but much better than many many other people. Um, and I'm I'm very close to. Many, I mean, I, I talk to my parents every week. I visit them now that I live close to them almost every week. Um, and we, we fight a lot, but we also, are, I, I would think, very much alike. And I hold very many of my beliefs because my parents hold them. Like this cosmopolitan mindset that I've traveled is big down to my parents, which, which you know, um, they said you're gonna go to university, and then they said you know we're gonna pay for university, but you you're you're not allowed to go to university in the town where you live, so you have to move out <laughs> and stuff like that. And then they you know they kind of pushed me to to go to Australia and school and all of that. Um, and I also I don't think I don't agree that this has anything to do with the Middle East per se or the culture. I think anybody pretty much who leaves the country and tries to live in another country for a longer time and actually um you know tries to live there as in you know learns the language um is interested in the culture you know doesn't only go to another country to work there and, and you know keep speaking his own language and you just just basically hang out around with expats if you actually try to submerge yourself into the culture and you learn about how other cultures are different and what's what's the same stuff like that um, I think that that is pretty much what forms this mindset. And I don't think this has anything to do, like I think a person from the Middle East could do that the same as somebody from, from Western Europe, theoretically. Uh, practically, of course, I think the limiting factor is that these are just much poorer countries. Um, I think, you know, I'm just very privileged. I've grown up, grown up in, a, um, in a very wealthy country, um, you know, as a child of a family who is... Who is well situated in the middle class i was an only child um so but i but i think given given this um given this chance anybody um who would take that chance and and you know be able to do what i do study travel um i think would would get to this mindset and that has nothing to do with family bonds because i have a very strong bond to my family um but like for example we don't believe i think that the family bond has anything to do with the place we've grown up in right i think my family is a family that has learned from its history that you know it doesn't doesn't really makes it makes no sense to like start a war over a place you were born just you because you were born there you know my grandmother um in World War Two, when you know she uh, she grew up in a place that is now Poland, um, which was uh, uh, which was actually uh, Germany uh, when she was born, and later was Poland again, and then 
obviously Germany again, and then she had to flee um, in you know when the Red Army uh, approached from the east and flew through you know almost all of Germany and settled in in a very different part of Germany and this kind of um, I mean that that's you know that that's my that. I mean, I haven't lived that, but I've you know I've grown up with this, my grandmother's stories, and and they've influenced me in a way that I feel that that was the important thing to do, the re the good thing, to, like the the only sane thing to do. You wouldn't just stay there just because you know and get killed or raped or whatever just because you know you grew up in that country. It's just like or oh, that place, you know, just go to another place. If it goes, if it turns shit, go to another place. Um, and I think just this kind of attitude is just something that um, that I've grown up with, but many people haven't. And I feel like if you know somebody grew up in a in a village in Bavaria, some somewhere, where it's just a very tight knit community, and you never really go out, or a village in the north 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 of Germany, you know, in a small village, um, I think their thinking would be akin much more to somebody in the Middle East that you're referring to then you know my my thinking um you know that somebody who li who grew up in a city who went to university and who has read um you know started reading as soon as they could read and that there's never as always like ever since i started reading i've i've been reading one book or another right i've never I'm never not reading, for example, like and 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 that alone I think opens your like, even if you can't travel, just reading, um and and you know reading more than just you know. I mean, there's there's a place for pulp, paper pulp fiction, so to speak, right? But like you know, reading some other stuff uh, once in a while or so, like that just broadens your horizon, and I think it just gets people closer together, and you you realize that you have much more in common. Like I feel, I, I feel as a, just a, as a person, right? I have much more in common with some dude who's sitting in the trenches, a Ukrainian dude who's sitting in the trenches, a Russian dude who's sitting in the trenches, some guy who's in a tunnel uh, in the Gaza Strip and, and some, you know, soldier in, in, in the IDF I think all of us have more in common um, than I have in common with like the head of my government or like the people who run the military here or run any other military. I think all of us just people, we're just normal people who get pressured into doing horrible things by our government sometimes, and or you know get 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 deluded by reading things and being influenced by other people. I think we we all of us have have more in common than the people who are actually sending us to die. Not that I'm in the trench and dying, but, you know, um, because I would be the first to run away, <laughs> you know, like my grandma. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the rinse wind approach is the best approach. Run the fuck away. Um, man, I always, um, I have this... Um, guilty pleasure of reading stories of people who, like it's one of my there's not that many books about this um but like um i love stories of people who deserted in world war ii like germans americans russian doesn't matter <laughs> british there's so many stories and sometimes you, you you talk to people and they tell you of like their grand like i have a i have a friend whose granddad was like in the german army 
And um, he was like relatively young, so he was drafted at the end of the war. Um, I think like a year before the, less than a year before the war ended. And he was like on the Western Front and he was like in France somewhere. And he was got he was got sent to France and he was like, just kill the Americans that are coming. He's like, fuck this. <laughs> the first chance he got, a, he, he, he got, he like, threw his rifle away and 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 you know just sl slunk away and it was very obviously very dangerous right there it's like the german um you know um Feldjäger that would like just like shoot people that deserted and like the, the story um this 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 friend told me about his granddad and like oh i can't even get it all straight but like just like stealing clothes um hiding in like some french um farmer's house and then or in the barn and then they discovered him and then they tried to kill them with a pitchfork because they were a German soldier and then they were both very afraid and then they realized that they were both afraid they didn't want to kill each other the French guy just managed, uh, ended up hiding him when like the Germans came soldiers came around and like all this guy like he just like going over like the lines the enemy lines and then evading like I don't know the the, the American. It's just like so much stuff. I, I love stories like this. Um, I think that's the most human thing in war. That people are just like fuck this. <laughs> the only, the only I've, I've seen this now. Uh, you know, kind of like um, uh, the guy who uh, is, it, is it the guy who wrote Catch Twenty Two was there like at the, the American. A writer who was like there at the time when at the firebombing in Dresden. It's like you know I've I've seen this war now and and the only winning moves not to play pretty much. Um, I'm out of here. Anyway, thanks for this feedback. I thought this was very very cool. And um, yeah, uh, please keep it coming. Uh, please keep disagreeing with me. Um, I I love these discussions. But uh, let's let's move on to the topic I actually wanted to talk about. It's already been like. 47 minutes again. So, with that out of the way, <laughs> um, so I want to basically uh, finish up my Twitter files reporting and I put a, I have a list that I put in the show notes me like crossing out the stuff I've reported on. So, if you haven't listen to these episodes. So I did, so far I did six episodes um, on the Twitter files. Uh, 135, 136, 140, 150, 51, and 155. And they're like Twitter files part one to five. And then there's also episode 150, 151 is uh, Musk kills the Twitter files, which is kind of a special episode. And in the same vein, this isn't Twitter files part six. Like the next episode probably will be when I actually start talking about that. Uh, but if you haven't listened to this, it's well worth it. Actually, in the first episode, I explain what the Twitter files are, uh, who has reported them, why, how they've reported them, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's fascinating. I think it's the, um, it's the. I mean, I'm a tech journalist, so I prioritize tech stories. Uh, but I, I think this is the most important investigative journalism story since Snowden. Um, I think this is the new Snowden story. Obviously, it didn't get that much uh, play in the press. Um, but I think it, nonetheless, it is, you know, I, 
I would I would I would say you know Watergate, uh, Snowden, and the Twitter files, and that isn't hyperbole. I think this is a very very important story, um, that explains a lot about how the internet got how it is today um, over the last 10 years and, and where it's going. Um, so I think it's very important. Um, and so there's, um, so, so basically there were, um, okay, there's a one a, but there were 19 Twitter file stories. And then there were like six extra stories and I've covered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve of them. So I kind of lumped them together. Um, but uh, yeah, so if if you if you want to go back to that stuff, uh, I very much recommend it. Um, especially you know now if you're um, uh, you know if if before you get into the ones I'm going to do that are coming up, um, it's probably well worth listening to these episodes um, before that. So uh, it's a very fascinating story. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's where we stand. These are the episodes we have. So, you know, 135, 136, 140, 150, 151, and 155. And let's look at what's still, what topics are still left to cover from the Twitter files. So if you caught up to all of that, if you listen to all of that, um, we now have, basically there are, I would say, three main, um, you know, topic areas. Um, there is one that I haven't touched that was in the very early Twitter files, which was, um, which is probably the one I'm going to do next, which is, was the removal of Donald Trump. Um, so there were several stories. Uh, Matt Taibbi did one to the run-up of uh, January 6th, and then, uh, then there's one on January 7th and 8th, you know, what happens on those days. Um, there's a story about Russiagate and how that got influenced, you know, by this whole social media censorship uh, um, debacle. Um, and there's a there's also a story on Adam Schiff. I'm probably going to, these are like five uh, threads, Twitter file threads, which I'm going to lump together. And I'm probably going to do one episode about. And then another episode uh, is going to be about, ha about Hamilton 68. And um, there's, so the Meta EB did a story about that. And then there's, there's like, a, we call it a comic interlude, uh, which I'm going to lump in with that. And Hamilton 68 is this basically NGO people who uh, who came up with like this completely dumb idiotic and phony way of counting Russian disinformation bots on Twitter, which was completely bullshit. But it was basically press-adjacent people who thought this was a story, wanted this proved, came up with like this methodology, made this dashboard, and then the press took it and ran away with it. And um, I mean, this is something I've long suspected. I mean, years ago on the show, I talked with Mike. I remember we talked about um, Cambridge Analytica and like Brexit and like this theory that, you know, Brexit happened because the Russians influenced 
um, Facebook. And I, I, at the time, we didn't know anything we know about New Way. They hadn't, didn't have the Twitter files. We didn't know any of the background. Um, and, and that was Facebook. But like, um, I already had a gut feeling back then. And I, I said so to Mike on the show, I think. Um, I wasn't buying it. I was like, and then we had some news that came out where it was like, so this is the actual ads people bought. And they were like really stupid. And, and and it came out that they weren't actually influencing that many people. I mean, lots of these stories were um, about how much, how many these ads actually, how, how much this influence was actually on Trump because the story came back up when Trump got elected. And I thought this was like Brexit and Trump is the same. If I'd had to have a high level view, my opinion is, um, people in the press and in a certain you know mainstream political spectrum didn't understand people voting for Brexit and voting for Trump uh, because it doesn't really from a logical point of view doesn't make much sense but I believe it was a genuine um, sorry I'm just I'm looking outside and it's like raining it's the middle of the night it's raining and there's these street lights and range. It just looks like a film noir movie. It's, it's amazing. I'm just in love with the view out of, out of my window. I love it when it rains outside uh, in in the autumn and it looks like that's so cool. There needs to be like uh, there's, there just needs to be a guy in a trench coat and hat smoking a cigarette under one of those street lights. That would be the best thing ever. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So so basically, uh, people were disillusioned with the with the. Um, I have a feeling, my belief is that a lot of these people are just disillusioned and they just voted for Trump and Brexit to just give a middle finger um, to the establishment, which in Europe is the European Union and, and you know, in 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 the US was the established parties, the, the Democratic Party and to some extent the Republican Party, which, you know, Trump was just the middle finger candidate. And people who who couldn't believe that thought you know the, the 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 voting or at least people's minds must have been manipulated and they came up with these stupid theories because the internet is so powerful and the people and the russians and everybody they influences the trump influences with the internet and i think especially the twitter files and the Hamilton 68 stuff shows us that that just wasn't true uh it was just people i mean they, there were these you know, there were bots and there, there were ads, but I don't think they made much difference, right? What made a lot more difference is just sticking it to the man. People feel like I want something else. I don't, I don't like the EU. And yeah, this Brexit thing maybe doesn't make much sense, but it's like, at least I want some change. I think that, that was the underlying, um, you know, it's populism. That's what populism draws on. That's how the Nazis got to power. That's got how Trump got elected. Not that I'm comparing those things, but you know, that's how revolutions start. That's like the how the Bolsheviks got started. That's how everybody started. You know, that's how these um, populist movements gain power. They just, you know, that their their message doesn't have to have, might make much sense really. It just needs to be like a on on the surface a compelling message that that is just um, repeated a lot, and then the the worse the other parties are doing at the moment, the the more appeal this kind of thing has. 
And no, it wasn't the Russian bots. Anyway, that's the topic that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to do an episode on the censorship industrial complex. There's a whole story about that, also by Meta EB. Um, and and then, um, I, I mean, I talked about this on the show a bit, but that story wasn't out, and there's just like a much better overview of the whole thing. And um, yeah, um, that's that's... That's the main story, and then there's stuff that's connected to it because Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger um, were in Congress actually uh, um, testifying uh, at a House subcommittee about this thing, about the censorship industrial complex. It's like the subcommittee against the weaponization of of the federal government. And they were um, testifying um, there. And that is a, um, uh, a... fascinating story like the of that whole hearing and then there's a second story because while Meta Ibi was at the hearing he had like an IRS agent visit his house and there's a whole thing where the basically I think the government weaponized the IRS because Meta Ibi was getting uppity uh, and there's a whole story about that that I'm going to look at and then there's an, just a bunch of other stories that are just like extra, they're, they're labeled as extra reporting. Um, so there's COVID censorship requests of Australia's Department of Home Affairs, how the world's no kidding decision makers got organized, Twitter files, Missouri vs. Biden edition, uh, the Democrats war on RFK Jr., uh, Amy Klobuchar went too far even for pro-censorship media, the manufacture of the Russian bot panic, um, and then uh, commentary by Matei on that. So I don't know how I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do all of these uh, in one episode, if I'm going to pick the most interesting out, I don't know. But I'm going to, you know, if, go, if you go to privatism.press, all these stories are listed there. If, you know, Before I even do the episodes, I, I list them all. And um, we'll, we'll see how I handle that. And there's also some related stories um, that I only like to gently... Uh, connected to the Twitter files, but that I think are still worth talking about. There is the Facebook files as a story, uh, or several stories about that. And then also uh, Meta Ibi wrote a story, who helped overturn the Pentagon Papers Principle, the Washington Post, and the New York Times, which is this all kind of um, connected to that. So I'm going to cover that as well. So I, I have a lot to do. <laughs> There's a lot of episodes coming up on this kind of thing but i think it's very important and once again you know i i um i ask you to provide feedback i you know i love to hear from people um from listeners um about what what they want to want me to talk about what they want to see discussed and uh, please feel free to uh, provide feedback about all of this um you know go to privatecitizen.press details on that and then to wrap this up there is a actually a, you know last week there was a very interesting development in this whole twitter file story which obviously i've talked about this a lot especially in early episodes how um this whole story was kind of a non-starter in the press how it was almost kind of suppressed um and you know 
big publications didn't talk about this a lot, even though I think it was the biggest story of the year by far. Um, but yeah, uh, it was broken by some guys on Twitter and then later Substack, and that's just not sexy. You know, I, I, this whole investigative journalism thing, a lot of things that are not investigative journalism get labeled as that and it's a it's a very cliquey niche in world um you know when i was a journalist and i was doing investigative stuff um i tried to get into some of these almost clubs um and yeah i mean there there is a there's something sexy that you know, journalists think it's very sexy to do investigative reporting and they like to pat themselves on the back. Um, but they're generally just only appreciative of like the investigative reporting at their publication and of the like the publications there they are, you know, affiliated with or that, that are like friendly with each other. So in Germany there are all these like um investigative um groups where like the Spiegel and Die Zeit or like the, you know, public broadcasters, they like have these groups and they will do these stories, you know, like the, they, they they also do, like this is where the Twitter files comes from, right? That was like the, um, all these these files, you know, the the offshore files and all this, like all this stuff. I'm not saying that that, that isn't good reporting, but like these people have the tendency to just celebrate the reporting in their group and when 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 somebody on their blog does investigative reporting they don't take notice of it they don't um or you know some guy on substack if they're not part of the establishment if they're people like Matt Taibbi who just left uh left an established or, or Glenn, Glenn Greenwald damn no agenda <laughs> you know it's it's so in my brain to say Glenn Greenwald um ah. <laughs> ITM. Um yeah, so um it's 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 sad. Um I feel like often these things are not lauded on the merit of the actual reporting, but like who did it and what publication they did it for. Um that was certainly different at some point, or sometimes the story's just so big, you know, like Snowden, everybody reported that and was excited about that. Um, but it, it it has changed since then. Uh, it's it's part of this this climate now where it's like um, stuff like the Twitter files are derided by uh, by other publications instead of like celebrated. Um, and it's it's just jealousy, I think, because you know uh, investigative reporting is a very um, exclusive thing, right? You have access to exclusive sources and stuff like that and you don't you don't share that as a journalist especially not with other publications and sometimes not even within like i've worked at places where um you know people uh had like these investigative journalism groups and they they wouldn't share their stories with other people at the same publications even though at the same publication even though those other journalists were more qualified to talk about the topic um it's, it's quite sad so I am more than happy now that to see that um, Matt Taibbi was in um, in Washington. I think at the place where they usually have the White House Correspondents' Dinner um, and got an award, uh, the the Dow Prize 
for Excellence in Investigative Journalism, which is new, uh, which was just newly founded this year. Um, it is uh, by... It's like the Young Americas Foundation, but also NNJC, which is the National Journalism Center, I think. Um, and yeah, uh, it says on this page, the inaugural Dao, Dao, Dao Prize will be awarded in the fall of 2023. It is available to all American media outlets. The National Journalism Center, a project of Young America Foundation, has trained truth-seeking journalists since 1977. The Dao Prize will be judged by an independent prize committee who will cast secret ballots. After a round of debate and discussion, winners will then be announced at a celebratory dinner held in Washington, D.C., The first prize winners will be awarded $10,000 and two honorable mention winners will receive $10,000 each. So um, I think it's really cool that the uh, Twitter files got honored with this. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the, the, the um, Meta EV did a, did a really cool uh, cool speech. There's, I, I put a link to the to the video um in in the show notes uh, where you can see him uh, accepting um the prize and also put a link to his to his speech which he published on racket news which is a substack um and yeah um it's nice just to finally see them get a little bit recognition for all for all this this work because i think it's a very very important story um i i I love to 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 think that you know even though it didn't really I mean it really didn't get reported. If I talk to somebody about this who is like not a journalist uh which is a normal person even if they're interested in tech or something they even either never heard of it or they they're like oh this isn't this crazy Elon Musk thing it's like this right wing conspiracy theory um which is kind quite amazing. I mean, the the, the Twitter files have one thing in common with the Snowden revelations. The the agencies who I mean Yeah, it's it's kind of it's like it's like internal documents, right? The Snowden Snowden had like um internal NSA basically PowerPoint presentations from internal um, you know, Uh, meetings and to the twitter files are just like internal messaging mostly i think you know kind of like slack messages and emails and stuff like that um so they have that in common but but more crucially the the agencies concerned have never denied anything that is in this revelations right the, the nsa i mean they're their intelligence so they never do this kind of thing but they've never come out and said well these things that Snowden said are not true. They've attract, uh, attacked Snowden in very in many other ways. Um, or it's kind of like, um, that's even the same with like Assange and WikiLeaks, right? The stuff, you know, about um, about that helicopter shooting, like the soldiers shooting, like the journalists, um, the American soldiers shooting like the journalists and was it Baghdad, I think. Um, and like the war crimes um, that, that got, got, made public by WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks got attacked for many other things, like endangering, you know, intelligence sources, all kinds of, like, tactically endangering, like, Julian Assange got attacked for, like, you know, um, 
sexual assault, um, all this kind of stuff. But all these stories have in common that that nobody from the organization concerned came out and said this is not true. Like far be it from saying like this is not true and here's why we actually have proof. They didn't even come out saying this is not true. All these press releases, if there are any, they're just like dissembling in another direction. Nobody, like the FBI didn't say this isn't true. We never did this. Because, I mean, you know, somebody in Congress would like fucking subpoena the files and then it would come out that they did this. Because, you know, there's a reason these emails turn up in, 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 in Twitter's uh, messaging stuff. And you will find the other side of the email if you open up the FBI emails, right? Um, so... I mean, the, these stories are actually quite, quite believable. Um, you know, in, in journalism, if you have like, if if you evaluate news stories, and there's like, um, there's the journalist makes a claim against a company or an organization, and that organization never says anything about that, or says like, attacks the journalist, or that they're not a real journalist, or something like that, or just, you know, talks about something completely different in their press release. Um, then like that is as clear as you can get to like an absolute truth in the world as you as you can right because that means they're right uh either it means either the story is right or the journalist got it wrong but the reality is even worse so they're like oh let's the companies or organizations like oh we're gonna take the hit because if we actually explain what really happened here it would be even worse for us so um and that doesn't really happen often, um, right? It it is it is it, like you don't get like that that like these stories are as watertight as they can get. Like there's, it's just a, it's just such a failure of, of 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 large media and news organizations that they haven't covered this. And only covered it in like, oh yeah, there's like a right wing journalist who just like got together with Elon Musk and now they're they're sharing conspiracy theories. And not actually looking into well, these are well, these are conspiracy theories because there were actually conspiracies going on. Right? Because the FBI actually did tell Twitter to you know and then, you know, the the, the 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 best thing they can say, well, we never, like, the best thing the FBI can say is, like, we never forced Twitter to take down these accounts. Yeah, that's true. Also, you couldn't have, because that would have been illegal. Um, but, you know, you kind of suggested, and Twitter did pretty much everything you suggested. And also, this explains everything we've been, anybody who's paying attention, this explains the visibility filtering that they Twitter has actually denied before that, which they're not denying anymore. Hmm. You know, that tells you that. I mean it, it's um it's it's very frustrating. Anyway, I'm 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 glad that they won this prize. And I will keep covering these stories because they're very important. Um and they explain a lot. Um about our societies, about the disconnect I think that everybody has felt who's been a lot on social networks. You know, I've talked about this in an episode about this. The disconnect about how how what is 
what what everybody seems to think and everybody seems to say is really like you read all these opinions on Twitter and then you go out in the world and you talk to people and you're like I never meet anybody who actually holds these opinions. <laughs> you know, that's Twitter makes it look or social networks makes it look like everybody in the world holds these opinions and then go out to people and everybody I talk to actually never holds these opinions. What is going on? Um Right, it's like, 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 right now you live in Germany and the government and the news media keeps telling you that there's no inflation and the economy is doing fine. And then you go out and you're like, hmm, the price of butter has tripled, literally tripled in the last year and a half. Um, I see everywhere I see um, shops folding. Right, I try to order something. It's like, oh, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, like there, there are like gaps in the shelves in the supermarkets, um, because there's like certain stuff they just can't or won't sell because it's too expensive and they won't make enough money. You know, there's people struggling. You you're driving, um, you know, I I I drive into town. I I visit my parents. Drive into town and like the first three intersections with traffic lights that I drive through. There's people at the traffic lights with hand-painted signs going, I'm hungry, please give me some money, which is something I've previously only seen in the US. <laughs> you know, this is something that didn't exist in Germany. I mean, there were people begging, but like on the on every fucking street corner. Um, it's like everything's breaking down, public service doesn't, like the, 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 the buses don't work, like everything's getting worse meanwhile the government's like oh no uh, public uh, or like the the news media is like oh public um public transport's doing great public transport's better than ever better than ever hmm i've used public transport in three different large cities in germany in the last month and it's and it's been worse than 10 years ago right oh no modern modern cars are better than old cars right are they um they break down after 2 years um, I can't fucking drive 500 kilometers without having to, like, you know, uh, recharge or whatever. Um, it, it's like, it's all this this stuff that you're being told and then you go out in the world and you open your eyes and like, I, I guess a lot of people don't do that. I, I think they, a lot of people just see the world through their phones, you know, through their phone screens these days. Um, but like, yeah, it, it it explained this to me very well. And like, there's no... And one other point before before I before I, st I stop with this, but like um, the the whole pandemic was an amazing um, experience. Actually, I have to do a, a recap show about that at some point. I think because like think about the new normal, and everybody was like, "Oh, life is just different now. We're never going back," and that so didn't happen. Like I was like, "I can't wait to go back." Can't get quick to go back to the old normal. The old normal was better. I wanna, I wanna go out again. I wanna, you know, I wanna go to restaurants. No, it's never gonna happen again. Like it's never. We're all gonna, we're all gonna work from home, twenty four seven now. I don't think so. Um, no, no, no. This is never gonna change back. It changed back so quickly, right? As soon as, as soon as all the restrictions were lifted, everybody was like, oh, we're back to normal. I just recently watched a video. There's this guy. Um, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but like, um, you know, I'm interested in Magic the Gathering. There's this crazy guy called Rudy who has a YouTube channel who's basically buying 
magic boxes, like shrink wrap magic. He has like warehouses full of magic boxes. He shifts like hundreds of thousands of dollars each month. He just buys people's collection. He sells shit. And he just does like the most niche. He's like, a, I think he used to be a stockbroker. And now he's doing this for magic. And he's just talking about like people buying and, you know, the economy basically through magic cards. And like, there was this amazing phenomenon during the pandemic where like Americans got free money basically from the government and people, he was like, I noticed this people buy like the prices of all the magic products just go through the roof because people are just sitting at home and they're working from home in aircourts. They're doing nothing. They're just on the internet buying magic cards with the free money they got from the internet, uh, from the government. Um, and now he's, he's recently did a video where he's like, um, where he's like basically uh, talking about this very same thing that like uh, the market, everything's going back to normal now. And like how um, how a lot of people, because during the pandemic, the, the, the these prices for these magic cards and boxes went through the roof, right? A box of like old magic cards, you know, okay. When, when, when it came out, it cost like $50, right? Um, and the normal price would be like 5,000 for that box because it's really, really rare. rare. It's like 20 years old or whatever. Um, and those prices went up to like 15,000. Um, and he was like, this is not realistic. Uh, and everybody was going, yeah, but that's the new normal. We're never going back to, to, to the old normal. He's like, I don't think so. He was like during the pandemic as well. I watched some of his videos and he's, he's right about that. He did say that. He was like, no, I'm, I don't think so. I think people will go back to restaurants, <laughs> you know, as soon as they can. And I think these prices are going to come down again. And now they're just like in free fall and go back down to the normal levels. Um, he was just like talking about the same thing, how like everybody, everything went back to normal as quickly as possible. And for me, that was just like, um, like a no-brainer like of course people want to go back to the like if you take all the propaganda out of it um you know people 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 if they could would buy the car they bought 10 years ago 15 years ago because it's just better than the car you can buy today not even talking about electric vehicles or whatever like modern cars are just shit <laughs> you know they just like they don't like it doesn't even matter the make they just don't last like we used to complain that cars i can't remember like 20 years ago people were complaining that cars wouldn't last 20 years anymore and now now you're lucky if they last five um it's it's kind of amazing but like people are, are, are trained by the by 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 propaganda by by pr uh, by advertising and stuff like that to just you know uh, as as they were trained to 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 think that 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 was the new normal and we're never going back and people were just like I don't know their 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 brain is just not there their their common sense is just like switched off because they just read the newspaper on the phone all day, all day and they keep telling them no 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 um, this is how it's going to be from now on instead of like thinking themselves that's kind of like how VW fucked up their 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 plant in. In, in northern Germany, where they, were, where they were like, yeah, no, we're going to switch to electric cars. And nobody apparently stopped to check what the actual demand was. And obviously, the demand is like a, a tenth of, of the other cars. 
and and now they're they're just like firing people left and right <laughs> but it's like there's like fucking managers who make millions of dollars a year who just like they're paid to run and and just like conceptualize like factories and like huge companies and and they're susceptible to, to this as everybody else everybody's just like in this mind fog bubble and they're going oh yeah i guess everybody's saying that it must be true um yeah but um i think um what we're learning with the twitter files is that one of the reasons for that is is that um we've we've kind of taken this echo chamber that was social networks like 10, 15 years ago, which is like, I remember I was doing a Linux podcast and all the Linux people on some social network were going, yeah, Linux, the best thing. Next year is going to be the year of the Linux desktop because Linux is the best operating system. And we all agree on that. So next year, everybody will run Linux. And I was, I was doing like a Linux podcast with another guy. I was like, damn, this, this is bullshit, isn't it? Like if you talk to like your friends, uh, you know, they don't even know what Linux is. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, and 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 you know that tech nerd bubble that Silicon Valley always had, where they're like, yeah, VR is gonna take off. Everybody's gonna buy VR glasses. Everybody's gonna buy Google Glass. No, normal human beings don't want that. No, no, no. Um, so, so we've taken that and we've 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 expanded that to our whole society because we've we've. We've hooked up everything to this internet and we've made this filter bubble the new normal, so to speak, right? It's the thing that's running everything and, and it's fucking everything up. And and we're now learning that it's not only organically fucking itself up, everything up, but like there are people fucking this up and it's not the fucking Russians. <laughs> it's the FBI and and the, the you know, the, 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 the global engagement center and all of that. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of that um, in upcoming episodes, let's wrap this up and uh, let's get the hell out of here and uh, get going. You can support this show, you can do that by commenting tell me what to talk about and when I'm wrong and writing very long emails um, that I then disagree with and that spawn more emails uh, and then we have a conversation. That's amazing um, because, you know, the goal here is not to agree with each other. Um, I think that would that would be the moment if we all agree that that's the moment where I'm stopping the podcast because everybody's already agreeing and too many people agreeing. That's the problem. There's a problem with turning science into a religion. Everybody's agreeing. That's the problem with all these filter bubbles. That's what they want us to do. That's what they what they're trying to do with all this fucking censorship. They want everybody to agree. And if that happens, it's going to be the worst society ever. Because you know that's how totalitarianism works. It's when everybody agrees. We don't want that. Um, so don't do that. So write in. Uh, go to privatecitizen.press and also give me money because the economy is uh, in the toilet. <laughs> the German economy is fucked. Um, no matter what the government says, it's fucked. And we're all fucked. Uh, I mean, Jesus. Uh, we have this like cleaning lady because my wife and me are very busy. And 
we have this luxury where we um, have somebody clean our flat sometimes. And uh, because we, we're not tax evading like everybody else and just employing somebody um, on, the, on the sly, we're actually doing this with a company. And, you know, the, the people that work there, they get sick leave, they get, you know, social social benefits and everything. Um, but they just fucking doubled their prices. Like, I shit, you know, they doubled their fucking prices. Which is okay. I mean, they're not, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be paid fairly, but everything's getting very, 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 very expensive. Very quickly. And I, I don't, I, I'll have to raise some prices and then I don't know like next year and then I don't know if I'm still going to have people paying me for my writing. So I'm, I'm fucking trying to finish my novel. Maybe, maybe that, maybe, maybe that'll get me. Maybe then I don't have to stand at the traffic light <laughs> with a sign. Um, no, I don't have to because I have people um, who are supporting the show. They're on Patreon um, and I appreciate all of you very much. You're making the show possible. So uh, thanks to my producers, uh, my showrunner, Saul Galtaran, executive producers, Butterbeans, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Rizal, Sandman616, Supervising producers Avis, Bennett Piata, Dave, IKN, Jackie Plage, Jonathan M. Hetai, Crunkle, Michael Mullen Jensen, Tobias Weber, producers Andrew Davidson, S.L.C., Barry Williams, Cam Kapnack, Dirk D., Fadi Mansour, Florian Pigosh, Joe Mr. Amish Ade Tracy, and Robert Forster, and the associate producers D., Jonathan, Johan Sonin, Kai C.S., Ricky M., Steve Hose, and Flat. Flat, thanks to all of you. I appreciate it very much i also like to would like to thank bitemark at bitemark.co.uk for providing the servers and the bandwidth that make it possible for you to download audio files for this podcast without that it wouldn't be a podcast well and the rss feed but let's not get into that again anyway i'm gonna go now uh i'm gonna be back as soon as i can don't know when that is but it's gonna probably be a, with an episode about the twitter files um, after all this announcing, um, I, I better put my money where my mouth is. Um, so I'm going to go now and I'm going to play us out with the song called Tomahawk by Tiger Blood, Blood Jewel. I had many remixes by them, um, including last episode, but this is a song by Tiger Blood, Blood Jewel called Tomahawk. Some hard rock metal stuff. So enjoy that. And uh, remember... Aim to misbehave.